Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right. Welcome back to Into the Fray. I've been covering a lot of rather unhappy information because it needed to be told, but not this week. This week, I have good news. Okay, I do have to set the stage first, but then I want to show you just how many good people in positions of influence are standing and rejecting the ludicrous measures being pushed by our would-be oligarchs. The hot topic in the news right now is Governor Newsom's curfew and Thanksgiving, we'll say, instructions. Among other things, he's enacted a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Before I get into what Californians are really mad about, the laughable Thanksgiving mandate, I want to point out a part of what this curfew means. When America was debating the 16th Amendment, the federal income tax, proponents made all kinds of promises. It was never going to be higher than 7%. It would only apply to the wealthiest of Americans. And that was final. How'd that work out? How do you like your 7% income tax? Are you among the wealthiest in America? No? Then why are you paying income tax? When COVID first started, they said masks and social distancing. If we wear masks and socially distance, that'll do it. Then it was 15 days to slow the spread. We didn't want to overwhelm the hospitals. And we never even got close. Then it was months of don't leave your home. Don't let your kids play with other children. Don't see your family. If we don't deem you essential, then you lose your job. Our economy is based on production and they brought that to a grinding halt. Now, pushing 250 days, just a bit further than that 15 days to slow the spread, we're still wearing masks. They're shutting down our economy once again. You still can't take your kids to play with other kids. And now, in California, there's a curfew in place. The idea of a slippery slope is often called a fallacy. At least in this case, it's not. Sometimes you walk yourself out there too far. Sometimes they push you too far. It's not a linear slope. It's a curved drop. The further you go, the steeper it gets. They never try to push you clear over all at once. You'd fight back. As Jordan Peterson pointed out, they push you just to the point where you start to say something. Then they stop. When you've calmed down and moved on, they push a little more. Just until you say something. Then they stop. Eventually, they've pushed you far enough to lose your footing and you tumble uncontrollably to the bottom. So what about Thanksgiving? Let's take a look at California. New York's pretty similar. From Newsweek, all gatherings must include no more than three households, including hosts and guests, and must be held outdoors, lasting for two hours or less. The new rules state those at a gathering may remove their face coverings briefly to eat or drink as long as they stay at least six feet away from everyone outside their own household and put their face covering back on as soon as they are done with the activity. The latest guidelines add face coverings can also be removed to meet urgent medical needs. For example, to use an asthma inhaler, take medication, or if feeling lightheaded. Oh, thank you, great and wonderful overlords, for allowing us to take off our mask if we're going to die. I predict a lot of lightheadedness coming on Thursday. Did you notice we made a transition somewhere at the very beginning of COVID? We used to live under a set of laws, initiated by a legislative body, passed through due process, and that prescribed a list of things we can't do because they would harm others. Don't murder people. Don't drink and drive. Don't go rob your neighbor. 
There was a list of things we couldn't do, but that list had limits enshrined in our founding documents. Somehow with the advent of COVID, we found ourselves living under a list of things we are allowed to do. We decree that you are locked in your homes. You are allowed to get groceries, exercise with limitations, and you are allowed to earn a living if we deem your job important. All of this passed not through the legislature, which they couldn't because it would be unconstitutional anyway, but through executive edict. When all this started, I remember laughing so hard reading the list of what we were allowed to do. It included watching the sunset. Oh, thank you, great and omnipotent masters, for allowing me to watch the sunset. When this charade began, and I want to be clear, the virus is real. It's a real problem. But the response has been a charade. When this charade began, we suddenly found our governors were issuing lists of things we were allowed to do. Because, you know, freedom and all. Can you imagine telling Patrick Henry that the government said there was only a short list of things he was allowed to do? But good news, the government allowed him to watch the sunset. Pretty sure Mr. Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death wouldn't take that lying down. Back to the article. The space for gathering must be large enough to allow guests to maintain a physical distance of at least six feet from those who are not in their household at all times. Seating must provide at least six feet of distance in all directions, front to back and side to side, between different households, the statement noted. Will your Thanksgiving look like a Biden rally? If you do socially distanced hoops on the ground, please tag me in a photo and post it on Twitter or Parler. I always need a good laugh. As much as possible, all food and drink should be served in disposable containers, while self-serve communal containers and other shared items should not be used at the gathering. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? This is as unThanksgiving like as you can possibly get. Thanksgiving is a time for us to get together with loved ones, spend time reconnecting with people who we, in many cases, rarely get to see. If you choose to take these steps, these measures, by all means, do. With blessings and praises, live life, COVID or no, on your terms. But these royal decrees invade way too far into the territory of personal liberty. The Daily Signal offered more. The host should collect names of all attendees and contact information in case contact tracing is needed later. What does this mean for your Thanksgiving feast? Let's review. Eat outside, whether you live in Palm Springs, where the high on Thanksgiving was 92 degrees three years ago, or Bishop, where the Thanksgiving high was 30 degrees last year. You must eat outside. Revealingly, poor Californians, particularly minorities, suffer the most, living as many do in dense apartment complexes, near homeless havens, or in localized pollution zones. But rich Californians who spread banquets on their manicured lawns behind high fences suffer right along with them. No more than three households. If you and your two siblings visit your folks for Thanksgiving, it's illegal. If you invite your parents, in-laws, and an international student, it's illegal. If you celebrate Friendsgiving with three other singles, it's illegal. But it's not all bad. The guidelines do allow you to use the restroom, though the government is now telling you where and under what conditions you may do so. How did we get here? I'm serious. That is a serious question. Our founding fathers fought a war over a couple of taxes that were pushed on them and some tea they were forced to buy. I really feel like every member of the Second Continental Congress, despite their differences and objections with one another, if they were here and someone were to tell them what's going on, they'd laugh. They'd just laugh. Then when they realized that they were the only ones laughing, that it wasn't a joke, I think their faces would fall, they'd take on a somber tone, and then probably respond with something like, okay, let's get to work. Utah, of all places, just issued a universal mask mandate for everyone down to the age of two. Anyone have a two- or three-year-old that thinks they can keep a mask on their face? Biden wants to enforce a similar mandate at the federal level, and Cuomo's Thanksgiving orders are on par with Newsom's. 
Biden's advisors are on record with far more than just a national mask mandate. From Breitbart, Dr. Michael Osterholm, who sits on Biden's coronavirus task force, suggested the idea of a nationwide lockdown to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Osterholm told MSNBC's Morning Joe, In the first weeks of August, Neil Kashkari, the president of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank, and I, wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times that basically said we need to, in a sense, lock down to drive this infection level to a place where we can actually control it with testing and tracing and follow-up that way, just like the Asian countries have done. And I'm talking about everything from Australia to New Zealand, all the way right up through China and Japan. All of those countries have done it already. Really, to deal with the pain and suffering economically is what we basically proposed was because the savings rate in this country has gone out of the roof since the pandemic. We've gone from 8% to over 22%. We can borrow the money from ourselves at historically low interest rates. We can pay people to lose their job. We can pay small businesses. We can take care of city, state, and county governments if we're elected to do that. If Washington could get together and make that happen, that would be a very different kind of lockdown where people wouldn't suffer and we could get this virus under control. Am I the only one who smells a rat? This is an overt attempt. They're not even really trying to conceal it anymore, to get as many people as possible subjugated in government dependence. Don't kid yourself that this would be a short-term program. Remember, the income tax was capped at 7% and would only apply to the ultra-wealthy. They promised that social security numbers would never be used as a means of identification. Obamacare wouldn't impact your doctor or your plan if you didn't want it to. We only needed 15 days to slow the spread. They just need the door cracked enough to get in. And then they're in to stay. Biden's COVID task force is kicking around the idea of a national lockdown and using your savings account as collateral to borrow what they need to pay for it. Do you understand how that works? They're saying that they want to borrow against your savings to give you money to get through the national lockdown. A lockdown that will cease most production, thereby rendering the money they give you more or less meaningless, can't buy what's not being made, and then they propose to pay that loan back with your taxpayer dollars. If someone came to your door in a polo shirt and an ID badge on a lanyard and proposed this idea to you, that they would borrow against your savings, give you some of the money, and then you would be responsible for paying back the loan, what would you say? If a telemarketer called you up in the middle of the day and proposed this idea to you, what would you say? If anyone but the government was making this proposition, everyone, everyone would see it for what it is. A scam. The COVID response from the far left really makes you question why. Why all the fear-mongering? Why the concerted effort to collapse our economy? Why isolate and separate people from their families and communities? If lockdowns and masks were going to work, they would have worked. If they worked, we wouldn't need to lock down again. Yes, lockdowns flattened the curve, but they also extended it. You can't lock down forever, and the moment you open up again, increased transmission will resume. The Constitution was written expressly to limit the power of the state. I'm not seeing a lot of limitations on their power right now. There's one part of this that really sets the stage. Though the news is far from new, the internet has been buzzing about the World Economic Forum and their proposal to use the COVID crisis to execute their Great Reset. First, the Great Reset is not a conspiracy theory. Not unless you think that the Global Economic Forum, an organization that works closely with the United Nations, is posting conspiracies about themselves and releasing videos of themselves discussing said conspiracies in open session. It's anything but dark, smoky room stuff. In fact, the conference hall where they meet is quite beautiful and full of cameras posting openly to the internet. If you're not familiar with the idea of the Great Reset, I'll give you the basic version. Distilled to its real-world implications, the idea that they've been kicking around for a few years now is to crash the world economy, forcing people to rely on government for their support. Then, with that newfound control of the money supply and production, 
they can redistribute resources and wealth more equitably throughout the world. If that sounds to you like a communist revolution, that's because it is. They call it stakeholder capitalism, but it's global communism. Before I get into Great Reset news, I want to pause a moment on this term, stakeholder capitalism. In Marx's vision, outlined in the Communist Manifesto, the workers would control the means of production. Problem is, for all the workers to control the means of production, they would have to find a way to manage their disagreements regarding that control, among quite a lot of people. If each worker was to maintain their voice in the process, the only means would be by pure democracy. Democracy, real democracy, is one person, one vote, and everyone has to weigh in on everything. It only works in very, very small, very dedicated groups, and even then collapses in flames as 51% impose themselves on the other 49. The idea that the workers control the means of production is not feasible in a world where people are fallible. There has to be some governing body representing the workers. In the real world, the state ends up controlling the means of production. On the workers' behalf, of course. So what is stakeholder capitalism? Investopedia defines stakeholder capitalism as a system in which corporations are oriented to serve the interests of all their stakeholders. Among the key stakeholders are customers, suppliers, employees, shareholders, and local communities. Under this system, a company's purpose is to create long-term value and not to maximize profits and enhance shareholder value at the cost of other stakeholder groups. Sounds great, right? Sounds ethical? Here's the rub. Who's going to enforce it? It won't happen if it's not being enforced. That's not how incentives work. There will have to be some central authority to regulate and enforce the doctrine of stakeholder capitalism. We're not talking about a 40-hour workweek or child labor laws. The extent to which this idea would necessarily pervade every business is total. The governing body would regulate everything that affected customers, suppliers, employees, shareholders, and local communities. That's everything. So we're back to the state controlling the means of production. We're back to communism. On the World Economic Forum website, www.weforum.org, they lay their plans out in the open. On the main page for their Great Reset, they have a section called The Context. So what is the context for their Great Reset? Let me read it to you in their words. The COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision-making. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, and contradictions of multiple systems, from health and financial to energy and education, are more exposed than ever amidst a global context of concern for lives, livelihoods, and the planet. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-term pressures against medium and long-term uncertainties. That's followed by a section called The Opportunity. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of a global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. Let's break that down. They want to use the COVID crisis as an opportunity to enact their initiative, the Great Reset, by crashing the global economy and replacing it with communism. Sorry, stakeholder capitalism, which is communism. Now are the ridiculous and clearly ineffective lockdown measures coming into focus? Now is it clear why the economic shutdown has to drag on so long? It can't end, yet. It hasn't fulfilled its purpose. The free market still has some fight left in it. President Trump, some of our governors, and the millions of people who went to work anyway have sustained our economy thus far. It's hurt, but it's not dead. 
We've made it this far because good people got in the way. Now let's get to the good stuff. From Breitbart, Governor Ron DeSantis's office vows no lockdown in Florida. The office of Governor Ron DeSantis is vowing to keep Florida open, as fears grow that a national lockdown could be imposed to combat the spread of coronavirus if former Vice President Joe Biden becomes president. Today we are back down to 4,500 cases and a 7.3% positivity rate, a DeSantis spokesperson said in a statement to CBS 12. We believe yesterday's high number was due to a large submission file and skewed the numbers for the day. The governor will not lock down and hurt families who can't afford to shelter in place for six weeks, especially not for a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. One area of concern is assisted living facilities. Since those over 70 face the greatest threat from COVID, the governor is monitoring these numbers daily and is prepared to move therapeutic and prophylactic assets to these facilities as needed. From the Daily Wire, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said in an interview that there won't be any more lockdowns in the state, and he wants to focus on working to heal those who have COVID so they can leave the hospitals and get back to their normal lives, NBC News reported. A spokesperson for the governor told NBC News on Wednesday that Abbott's plan to slow the spread of the virus will rely on the data-driven hospitalization metrics used by doctors and medical experts. From Town Hall, responding to Holmes' comments, the national shutdown plan from Biden's advisor we read earlier, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves already announced he will not put his state through that again, calling another lockdown totally and completely beyond reasonableness. The people of Mississippi can't just go home and shut down their small businesses for six weeks and just think that you can come back six weeks from now, flip a switch, and everything's going to be fine, Reeves said in a Facebook Live video. I don't believe there is any constitutional or statutory authority for any president to shut down Mississippi's economy, he said. We will certainly fight if that becomes necessary. Back to Breitbart. The office of South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem said Friday that it would not enforce a federal lockdown or mask mandate under a President Joe Biden after one of the former vice president's advisors floated the measure. Ian Fury, communications specialist for Noem, said in a statement to the Sioux Falls Argus leader, It's a good day for freedom. Joe Biden realizes that the president doesn't have the authority to institute a mask mandate. For that matter, neither does Governor Noem, which is why she has provided her citizens with the full scope of the science and trusted them to make the best decisions for themselves and their loved ones. Do you see what's happening? This is what happens when you elect representatives who understand and respect the Constitution. In contrast to governors like Cuomo, Newsom, and Whitmer, who will do and mandate whatever they like without considering the limited enumerated powers of their office, these governors, DeSantis, Reeves, Abbott, and especially Nome, understand that, as we learned last week, extraordinary conditions do not create or enlarge constitutional power. The people who live in these states have elected governors who will stand between them and federal overreach. Look at the local level. Atwater and Coalinga, two cities in California, refused to lock businesses down during the first go-round. They stood by their autonomy, foregoing state COVID funds in favor of liberty. Back to what Dr. Peterson was explaining near the beginning, they don't try to overwhelm you all at once. They push right up to the point where you start to say something, and then they stop. They wait until you've calmed down and move on. Then they push again. Right up to the point where you say something, and then they stop. Eventually, you open your eyes and you see just how far you've let them push you. These two cities dug their heels in on the first round. There are local sheriffs and police chiefs all over, refusing to enforce these illegal decrees. Cuomo was steaming last week because so many New York sheriffs refused to enforce his insane lockdowns. The same is happening all over California. The sheriff of Orange County was the first to step up. He stated in a public statement on Twitter, Earlier today, the Orange County Sheriff's Department became aware of a limited stay-at-home order that Governor Newsom's office ordered to go into effect on Saturday, November 21st at 10 p.m. At this time, 
Due to the need to have deputies available for emergency calls for service, deputies will not be responding to requests for face coverings or social gatherings only enforcement. From KCRA in Northern California, Butte County Sheriff released a statement Friday in response to the curfew, saying that he is directing staff not to use suspicion of violating the new curfew as a reason to arrest, cite, detain, or stop anyone. I want to stress the importance of voluntary compliance with common-sense measures, such as social distancing, the use of face coverings where appropriate, proper sanitation, staying at home when sick, and other recommendations as part of a social contract between individuals, community groups, businesses, and public health officials, which is critical in stemming the spread of COVID-19, he said. The statement didn't say everyone go throw a we hate Newsom rave, though when this is over, that's not a bad idea, and if I'm not mistaken, Huntington Beach actually beat me to the punch already. They said we need to take proper precautions, we need to be careful and respectful of each other's exposure risk but that the sheriff's department would not be enforcing those measures. I believe it's a very tactful way of stating that Newsom's royal edict is an abuse of power that they are not willing to join. But wait, there's more. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Office will not be determining, including entering any home or business, compliance with, or enforcing compliance of, any health or emergency orders related to curfews, staying at home, Thanksgiving or other social gatherings inside or outside the home, maximum occupancy, or mask mandates. Jones' statement read in part. Eldorado County Sheriff. In a statement released after the curfew was announced, the Eldorado County Sheriff's Office said it will not be enforcing this curfew order. Eldorado County Sheriff's Office deputies will not be determining compliance with or enforcing the compliance of any health order related to this curfew. The Sheriff's Office will not prevent Thanksgiving activities, maximum occupancies, or wearing mask mandates at social gatherings within the county of Eldorado, the statement said. Stanislaus County Sheriff. The sheriff's office will not come to your home, question you or your guests, or pull you over for driving during the curfew. Manteca PD. Manteca police officers will not come to your home, stop your car, or interrogate your family based simply on this order. Roseville PD. At this time, the Roseville Police Department will not dispatch officers to incidents where a caller is reporting a violation of this new order, the statement said. Where the left holds power, you better believe these curfews and lockdown orders will be fully enforced. Where people respect the Constitution and the limits imposed on government for our protection, these orders are not. These departments I listed seem to understand, at least in relation to the most recent edicts, where the limits of their authority are drawn. Did you see the photos and videos that came out of New York City when PD entered Jewish homes to break up small religious gatherings? People in Eldorado County can have their Thanksgiving family gatherings without fear of the state. No one in the unincorporated areas of Orange County, Sacramento County, or Butte County will have law enforcement coming into their homes and breaking up their holidays. Who are these mighty heroes standing in the breach? They're just people. They're people standing on principle within their own sphere of influence. They're people determined not to go over the cliff with everyone else. So long as there are enough good people getting in the way, preventing these lockdowns from having the intended economic effect, we just may preserve the free market. You won't see it in legacy media but millions of people have turned out for rallies, marches, and demonstrations around the country. People are speaking at events, writing books, papers, and blogs, and filming podcasts. People are exposing the crimes of corrupt politicians and their supporters. Kyle Rittenhouse, a minor from a single-parent home, was given an excessive $2 million bail in violation of the Eighth Amendment. It took months, but today, he's breathing free air, out on bail because people stepped up and donated, often small amounts that added up, to clear that immense and illegal hurdle. Mr. Rogers famously pointed out that in every crisis there are helpers. He relayed that his mother told him, in times of crisis, always look for the helpers. 
Those acts, big and small, with wide spheres of influence or small ones, add up to great effect. It's not so much a matter of how big a splash you can make in the pool, but are you cannonballing in the right direction? Mind you, it does help to make a bigger splash. So how do we make a bigger splash? If you feel like you're standing alone, if you're telling yourself, I'm only one person, what can I possibly do that will matter? You're in good company. Turn that into a legitimate question. What can I do? And you're on the right track. I've talked about Henning W. Prentice Jr. before. He gave a lecture at the University of Pennsylvania in 1943 entitled The Cult of Competency. I highly recommend you read it. It is exceptional. In part, he says, The Greeks said, Know yourself. The Romans, Be yourself. The Christians, Give yourself. The Cult of Competency, as our fathers knew and practiced it, fused these three swords of the Spirit into great instrumentality that set them free. To remain free, we, their descendants, must pay the same price they paid. For freedom, as many wise men have pointed out, is not a gift from heaven. It must be won and re-won by every generation for itself. It is not ours for the asking, as so many complacent Americans seem to think. It is ours only for the taking, through competent personal effort in support of the eternal principles on which it rests. The way to freedom has always been a rough and arduous road. It's not for weaklings. It has never remained long under the feet of those who seek first, last, and always a full stomach at the price of a questing mind and an unfettered soul. Only a competent people can build the temple of self-government, and only a competent people can keep it standing. The floods of economic depression, the frosts of class cleavage, the ice of apathy, and the winds of demagoguery are potent forces of social erosion which are never at rest. Only through constant renewal of knowledge, faith, and practice of the principles of republican self-government by a competent citizenry can the edifice of liberty be kept intact. As Montesquieu reminded us 200 years ago, popular self-government is the most difficult of all forms of government to maintain, but it yields to strong men who are willing to pay the cost, the priceless blessings of liberty. Does any of that sound familiar? The floods of economic depression, the frosts of cleavage, the ice of apathy, the winds of demagoguery, social erosion? This was from 1943. These are not new struggles. These are the struggles of every generation. Everyone who fails to learn to produce, everyone who allows themselves to be caught up in manufactured class enmity, who wallow in apathy, who fall for demagoguery, increase the potency of these failings. Everyone who rises above them decreases them. Every person must learn to develop themselves. While we benefit from the lessons of our forebears, we do not naturally inherit the fruits of their personal development. A son may learn from his father, but his development does not begin where his father's left off. His personal growth begins at the beginning. There are certain milestones we accept readily, and then, somewhere around the time we get our first stable job, or maybe just after, it seems that mentally we think we're done. Once we settle into that steady job, maybe get married, life's pretty much just pay the bills and coast. It's not our capacity that stalls, only our expectations. We look at a baby, and of course, they can't unload the dishwasher. They're only crawling. They can't possibly reach to put the dishes away. We look at a small child and say, of course they can't mow the lawn. They touched the stove burner just the other day. I can't possibly allow them near those spinning blades. A bit at a time, that child develops until they can put the dishes away. They can be trusted with a running lawnmower. They can multiply and divide. They can drive a car. They can make it living on their own. Yet at some point, and I think it's usually somewhere around 30, we tend to think we've arrived. We stop looking at how we need to develop, and then we find that there are things others do that are still out of our reach, and we can't understand why. We see the problems in the world, but they're too far out of reach or too dangerous for us to get involved in. They're not impossible tasks. We just haven't developed ourselves to take them on. 
I want to play you a couple of clips from Jordan Peterson. It's like, while young people want to change the world, the problem is, is that that's been harnessed into attempts to change other people. But that isn't what you should do. If you want to change the world, you should change yourself. And I don't mean that in some cliched sense. I, I mean it in the sense that Alexander Solzhenitsyn said when he analyzed the Soviet Union. He said, don't be thinking that the line that divides good from evil runs down a political spectrum or, or, or countries or something like that. It runs down right down the middle of your soul. And if you want to sort out the world, then what you do is you sort yourself out. It's a serious business, right? They say it's more difficult to rule yourself than to rule a city. And that's the truth. Um, I was trying to produce something that was a counterposition to this idea that what you should do is go out and fix up other people. You know, well, that's just not right. And there's a New Testament line about that, something about, you know, not worrying too much about the log in your neighbor's eye or about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your eye. Mm. It's like, yes, no kidding. But, you know, do you really want to... Do you really want to face that? And so what I've thought about is that, well, what you start to do is you start to tell and act out the truth locally, like within the domain of your actual competence, you know, because the world presents itself as a series of puzzles, some of which you're capable of solving and some of which you're not. And you have many puzzles in front of you that you could solve, but you choose not to. You know, th that, those are the things that weigh on your conscience. It's like, you know, well, I should really do this, but you don't. It's like, so I had this idea a long time ago, because the world is a pretty dreadful place. I thought, well, what would the world be like if people stopped avoiding the things they knew they should do? My experience has been that people can do a tremendous amount of good for themselves and for the people who are immediately around them by looking to their own inadequacies and their own flaws and the things that they're not doing in their lives and starting to build themselves up as more powerful individuals. And if they're capable of doing that, and then they're capable of expanding their career. And if they're capable of expanding their career and their competence, then they're capable of taking their place in the community as effective leaders. And then they're capable of making wise decisions instead of unwise decisions when it comes to making collective political decisions. We have to develop our competence. If we can't take care of ourselves, how are we supposed to solve the problems of the world? Peterson's right. You start small and work your way outward. Don't think you can fix the economy if you still have credit card debt. Don't think you can solve the problems of the nation if you fail to build good relationships with your children or your spouse, or if you can't keep your car clean. And don't despair if you're struggling with credit card debt or your family relationships or your car. If you're looking at your life thinking, how could I possibly do more? Think of the first time you looked at a 12 by 12 multiplication chart and thought, how can I possibly learn all that? If I asked you what six times four is, I bet you already thought of the answer. If you're a runner, did you start at the distance you run now? If you're a weightlifter, did you start at the weight you lift now? Some people run ultra marathons of a hundred miles or more. Some people squat many hundreds of pounds. That's not possible, is it? Not when they started. If you're a parent, did you ever think you could manage so many dishes, so much laundry, so many diapers, so many baths, so many appointments, so many demands? But you do. In another clip from Jordan Peterson I played recently on here, he talked about the influence we have, how we're only two steps away from a million people. We don't change the world by improving other people. We change by improving ourselves. The more we improve, the more we're capable of, and the wider our sphere of influence becomes. Who made you change growing up? The person who told you what to be, or the person who you looked up to because of who they were? We're agents of free will. No one changes us but us. There are a lot of good people standing strong right now. If you feel like you're too small to stand with them, then it's time to grow. It starts with the little stuff. 
It starts with the things you already know you need to work on, but have been pushing off. We're not small, we're not powerless, we're not weak. But maybe we have some developing to do before we're ready to put away the dishes and mow the lawn. Ever watched a one-year-old fight to stand? They crawl over to the couch. They grab onto the edge of it. They grunt and strain, pulling themselves up. They fall. They do it all over again. Then they try to hold onto the couch and walk. And they fall. And they do it all over again. Have you ever stopped just to see the amount of effort they put into trying to stand and walk? How badly they want to be able to do that simple thing that we don't even think about anymore? They do it day after day, falling, failing, trying again, determined to get it. Then one day they walk on their own. And as they continue on, one day they run, sometimes falling, always getting up and striving forward. One day they ride a bicycle, sometimes falling, always getting up and striving forward, not without tears, not without occasional trepidation, but always forward. Then one day they're getting married, walking hand in hand, taking that momentous leap, without a backwards thought to how difficult it was just to pull themselves up at the couch to stand. Apply that determination to yourself, now, and you, with the people you influence, will change the world. All right, I'm going to call it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Parler at Real Into the Fray. Buckle up. It's going to be a rough road, but don't despair. A handful of intelligent, reasonably educated, unstoppably determined colonials in far worse conditions and with far less resources took on the world. And look what's come of it. We can do even better. Until next week, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid.